0: This is the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood. Imagine that you are told that you have a disease that will gradually rob you of your ability to walk, to use your hands and arms, to talk, to swallow, to breathe. That's what happens with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Neurons or nerve cells break down and die but scientists don't know why it happens. It's a progressive disease, and most people will die within three to five years of being diagnosed. About a year and a half has passed since George Smith found out he has ALS. If you're from Maine and love the outdoors, you may have heard of George. For 18 years, he was the executive director of the Sportsman's Alliance of Maine. He's the author of several books. He's a newspaper columnist, a blogger, and a public speaker. His topics are generally the outdoors, current events and issues, book reviews, George is not shy with his opinions. He also wrote a travel column with his wife Linda. On the ride home after learning that he had ALS, George decided that he would not let the news define the end of his life. I visited George at his home recently and we talked about how he is trying to live his life as little by little his disease progresses. So, George, thank you for letting me come and talk to you. I appreciate that. Well,
1: one of my goals is to reach a lot of people with my messages and my experience. And, you know, I wrote that first newspaper column that was published several places, and I've heard from hundreds of people. And the thing I liked the best was my message was, maybe you could learn from me, reevaluate your priorities. Look at what you're doing with your time, because I did that, of course, once I got my illness uh, diagnosed, and it's made a huge difference. I heard from all these people that they did it. That was very rewarding.
0: And these aren't just people who had ALS? Oh, no.
1: People all over. I heard from people from Alaska to Italy. It was just amazing.
0: And they told you stories about how they changed the priorities. Well, in they just
1: life. said, I've done that. And of course, a lot of them said, yeah, I'm focusing more on my grandchildren. or, But uh, I really appreciated that. And then I did connect with lots of people that have experience with ALS. and I. I've picked out about a dozen that have been very helpful to us. Helpful how? With advice, uh, information about what happened at each stage that they were in. Um, There's a lady in Winslow that's just been fantastic uh, help, because my wife needs a lot of help and advice too, and this lady has been through it. Her husband died last October of ALS, and she's been extremely helpful to Linda. So this has all been good. I thought about it a long time about going public, and I'd only told my friends and family for the first year. But then people noticed I'm losing weight and I can't do anything with my fingers and my voice is changing, so I finally decided that I would just tell people, but I honestly never anticipated the response. So now I'm writing something every month, and the last column was about insurance and some of that. and. Uh, it's pretty rewarding, the responses, yeah. So I'm happy to do your program, really.
0: Thank you. When were you diagnosed?
1: Well, the first thing, my, my muscles started twitching in my arms and legs. It takes quite a while to um, diagnose this. And in fact, this lady, Winslow, said once they figured out what her husband had, it took them six months to get into a neurologist. Well, I'm very lucky, because my brother Gordon's the head of the main medical association. So. He picked a very good neurologist in Rockport, and I got in in a week. And then she did a bunch of tests and figured out that's what I had. But then she sent me to the Leahy Clinic for more tests, and they came to the same conclusion. And for a while, I kept going to Leahy, but I've really got all the help I need in Maine. I've got the neurologist, I got a pulmonologist for breathing that Nell Davies helped me get. I've got physical and occupational therapists at Maine General right in Augusta who are terrific. And there, it turns out, a lot of groups and opportunities for help right here in Maine.
0: That's good to know. And Nell Davies is with the ALS ALS Foundation?
1: Association, the Northern New England chapter, and she's responsible for Maine. Fantastic lady. She's 80 years old, been doing this 10 years. Terrific source of information.
0: So you've had the diagnosis for?
1: Well, uh, about a year and a half. My muscles have disappeared here, and that's why I've lost the sense in my fingers. Because your muscles twitch all the time. If you look, this one is twitching, and eventually you just lose that strength. And this is what it is. It's a neurological problem about that it drives your muscles, and so everything you lose is kind of dependent on muscles: breathing, swallowing. All of these things.
0: And it's amazing because we don't think about
1: that, do we? Never. It is a little frustrating because the symptoms occur in different ways in different people. Some of them don't get all the symptoms. Some of them only live a year. Some of them live 20 years. So you can't anticipate. I've done lots of research. And uh, now, in fact, today we're going to pick up a wheelchair because I am losing a lot of strength in my legs. It's getting hard to go upstairs. Uh, So, I think that'll be next. But it's also been helpful to talk to people who've been through these experiences. Like what happened when you couldn't swallow, there's therapies for that or breathe or talk. The communications equipment. This lady in Winslow, she had, uh, it was really a laptop at which her husband could look and something would open. He'd look at his email box, it would open. He'd look at his book. And then once uh, word opened, he could write with his eyes.
0: That's amazing. And you are a communicator, John. Well,
1: I was encouraged, because I want to continue writing as much as I can. And uh, I've joked, I think one of the good things about this is I'm cutting back on my time at the main legislature, because <laughs> it is not the fun place it used to be. But this session, I put in 11 of my own bills. And in oh, fact, they're goodness. working one tomorrow.
0: What, what, do, what are they working now? Uh, a
1: a bill to expand protection of our native brook trout, which has been my passion for decades.
0: And you've been an avid sportsman all your life.
1: Oh, yeah. I've hunted 53 years with my dad. Uh, it was a very, very special thing. And then, of course, fished. And I was also lucky in my career when I worked for the Sportsman's Alliance and did all this outdoor writing. I got a lot of free fishing trips and Quebec, Montana, Alaska. And then one time I took Linda to a lodge, Rainbow River Lodge, it's a remote Alaska. It was a free trip, we did a video for him, I did some writing, and every day he flew us out to different rivers, and in the Salmon River, I have a picture of Linda from behind, she's just cast, and 10 yards away, a giant bear is looking at her. There were bears all over the river fishing. And our guides had guns, and they would just say, don't play your fish a long time. Don't get the interest of the bears. Get it right in and let it go. But it took some getting used to it, to bears all around you while you're fishing. Yeah, so I had a lot of great outdoor adventures because of my career.
0: And now because of ALS?
1: I can't fish. Well, all my friends are going to take me fishing. And this started last fall. I couldn't tie a fly on or release a fish, so I could only go with someone else. But luckily, I have all kinds of friends to take me fishing, and then... Well, after dad died, I kind of lost interest in shooting deer. I can't even pull the trigger of a gun anymore. But I've been taking out new hunters especially. Uh, Both my woodlot and this uh, blueberry farm in Fayette, he posts so I can bring new hunters and young hunters. And that has been so rewarding.
0: So you, even though you're losing the ability to to do things you love, you still...
1: I'm doing things I love still. Just a little different methods. And with lots of friends. And, uh, well, you know, I took Deidre Fleming two years ago to shoot her very first deer. She'd been writing about hunting for about 20 years and never hunted. Now she's wildly enthused. And she's
0: a sports writer for the, the Press, Press Herald. Herald. Yeah. Let's go back to when you got the diagnosis. Yes. Because I'd like people to understand, what were all these tests that you had to have in order for them to come up with the diagnosis? Well,
1: there's everything from blood to the most interesting Was for a half hour or so, they would put needles into your arms and legs, your muscles. And the guy that did it was an avid sportsman. So we talked about hunting and fishing the whole half hour. It wasn't that bad. But they did the same thing at the Leahy Clinic, and it was kind of painful because the guy doing it was not a sportsman to talk hunting and fishing. And then there were, but it was all testing your muscles mostly, other than the blood tests.
0: Okay, to see how they would respond to the stimulus, and they weren't responding normally.
1: No. Well, and you could see everything twitching. Mm -hmm. So that's a real giveaway that's probably ALS. Um, I forget the others. There was four different tests they both did.
0: Well, I'm going to try to interview Nell Davies, and so I will ask her these kinds of questions. You already suspected, you and Linda, that you had ALS?
1: I, well... My primary care doctor told me that's probably what, I had no idea until I went to Dr. Kevin Kane in Augusta. He's been my doctor since 1986, I think. Wonderful guy. And he did some tests and said, George, you're gonna to need to go to a neurologist. I think this is what you have, but going to, it's difficult to diagnose. So that was the first time that I had an idea that was what it was. And of course, you're still hopeful that isn't what it is, but. And when you hear your neurologist tell you that, it's, oh, yeah, it's, I'll never forget that moment.
0: Kind of takes your breath away. I
1: didn't say anything for about a minute, you know, it was just, wow. But she is extremely helpful, kind. And uh, so every time we go, I have a sheet full of questions. and, And she also has a lot of patients with ALS, so she can share just not any details, but what's happening to them, and she knows so much about it. um, I feel very lucky to have Dr. Lash.
0: So I suspect your reactions happened on different levels. Oh, yes. There's that emotional level that obviously is still there by the look I'm seeing on your face right now. It's a hard blow to get a diagnosis like that.
1: Because it definitely indicates a shorter life. But I've been Uh, talking about this in my book talks lately, but I had two really good friends, one in September, one in December, very vigorous guys dropped dead of heart attacks. Now, and they were just gone. Now, I have all this time. First of all, to get everything in order. Uh, My oldest daughter's an attorney. She lined me up with an elder law attorney in Bangor, Jane Skelton, who's fantastic. I thought I had all my legal things in order, but there was all kinds of things I had to do. You know, and even the lady in Winslow last week was telling me about after her husband died, she had all kinds of trouble because everything was in his name, all the utilities and the credit cards. And so in this last week, I've changed all that to Linda's name. She's the co-owner of everything. But we found out, we didn't remember this, when we bought our house, we hadn't married yet. So the deed was just in my name. So we fixed all that with Jane's help. And... You know, if I had a drop dead of a heart attack, this would have been a mess.
0: A nightmare for her.
1: And the other good thing is, of course, now I'm spending all kinds of time with my grandchildren. We have two boys, 13 and 11, and two little girls in Massachusetts, three and one. In fact, we're going down this weekend. After a couple days with those girls, I'm exhausted, <laughs> but it is so much fun. So I feel, you know, as troubling as it is and disappointing, I feel blessed because I have this time. And the other thing I joke about, all my friends want to take me to lunch. So I'm getting a lot of lunches. I'm having lunch tomorrow with two friends. So there are good aspects of this, and the best one is the time you have now. And I thought that, you know, if I get to the point I can't swallow or breathe or maybe talk, you have choices. You can not do therapy and die fairly quickly. In fact, I connected with one family who's His brother had ALS, and he didn't want any treatments. First thing that went was his breathing, and he died right off. So you have these choices. But the more I link up to people with ALS, the more inspired I am to see that they still are functioning without being able to swallow or breathe. There's therapies and treatments.
0: Do you find yourself, though, wanting to put some things down on paper? in the event of, so that your family knows if I reached this point?
1: I've done that. Dr. Skelton did a whole end-of-life care decisions. I've made them all already with Linda's participation. So there is no question. And at each step, when I lose something, I can make a decision. And then at some point, if I can't function, she takes over. Uh, But we're all on the same page, so we can do all that. And our kids have been very participatory in all of this. Uh, last April, they rented this big house down in Scarborough Beach, and all everybody came. Our three kids, our four grandchildren, and we're doing it again this year. It was wonderful, you know. So I really, I'm blessed to have this time to do these things.
0: Do you wake up every morning and thank the universe for still being here and still being able to do certain things? Yeah, pretty
1: much, but I'm I'm, I'm waking up a lot later in the morning <laughs> The, every Tuesday, the men have a breakfast at 6.30 at our community center. And three of the last four uh, Tuesdays, I've overslept. I've missed it. So I went in Tuesday. I managed to wake up at quarter six. And I said, I thought I'd never be happy to wake up at quarter six in the morning. But I was that day. Because, you know, we hang out for an hour and a half and visit. It, it's a wonderful thing. And then every Saturday, our community has a whole community breakfast. And the people in Mount Vernon are very special whole bunch of people showed up after that blizzard to help Linda shovel. Uh, So we have a lot of help.
0: Do you feel helpless sometimes to be able, not just to do things, but to help your wife, Linda?
1: Well, you saw her out there chopping the ice. I can't do that. And it is extremely frustrating. And we do have a couple local guys that we can hire, like they shoveled off the roof and this and that. Um, But she's She's a very determined lady, you know. I tried to tell her to wait and we get uh, this local fellow, Luke, to do it, but she's out there doing it. The other thing is, you know, I paid the bills and did the bookkeeping. She's doing that now. So she's taken on just about everything. And, uh, you know, she's amazing. I'm very blessed.
0: How are you feeling today?
1: I feel pretty good. I mean, it's not a painful thing. The constant twitching of the muscles is is exhausting. In fact, Linda finally convinced me, if I was going to Augusta, I'd schedule six different things. Now, one, maybe two things. So tomorrow, I'll have a lunch and go to a work session at the legislature. That's the day. You know, I'm done. Um,
0: So you're used to packing a lot of things into your day, and you can't do that anymore. In
1: fact, I was supposed to participate in a panel on climate change in Orono, this past week and I, I decided not to do it because after dinner I'm done for the day. This was an evening thing up in r and even though they were going to transport me, I, it would have been a, difficult. The book talk I did the week before at Bangor Library my sister lives in Bangor so we stayed overnight so that was doable but I'm really not doing many evening things anymore.
0: And you're seeing the progression
1: Oh yes in my legs now it's, uh, the last three months it, it's been progressively getting weaker and weaker and uh, I used to love to walk and now I go up to the road and back, that's it, I'm done
0: So you mentioned that you're going to be getting a wheelchair now Today, yes. Is it motorized?
1: Yes I've done a lot of research, went to the seminar and it just happened that this lady in Winslow had exactly the chair for her husband that I want and uh, that was great to find it. So, and as she emphasized, get these things ahead of time so you can work with them and practice.
0: Are there things that you know are coming down the road that you think about or do you choose just to take them as they?
1: Well, I've been researching and talking to other ALS people who have experience with it uh, because there is these things. You might lose the ability to breathe, uh, swallow talk those are the three big things besides your strength and so I've done a lot of research and now I'm talking to people who've experienced all these things and the therapies um, and then I've even it was really funny I heard from a lot of people who suggested I could cure my ALS with a, a diet change or going to yoga <laughs> I mean all these things neuropathy and so I made a whole list of them, and I went over all of them with Dr. Lash, and she was familiar with everything. And, and it was funny, uh, one lady recommended this diet, and another lady said, don't ever do this diet the <laughs> same thing. And so bottom line, there is no cure, you know, and I have confidence in the people I'm working with. Physical therapy has helped, I go to that. Uh, she has things I do every day, stretches that can help you. Uh, And so one of the lessons was, don't just sit there. Work your muscles, Mm -hmm. you know, do as much as you can. So Linda keeps after me to do the stretch.
0: Nothing like a good wife, right? A good partner.
1: George, have you done your stretches this morning? Oh, no.
0: George, are you afraid?
1: I'm not really. um, And I think partly because my dad was at Togus uh, VA Center in the hospice unit for six months. And it was the most amazing experience. In fact, uh, my brother, sister, and I have done seminars on gratitude at the end of life um, because that showed me what it can be like. Dad did not want to go to leave his house. He almost died two nights in a row. Gordon got him to try this. Very lucky, there's only 14 beds there. Got him in, and he was there six months. First night, he's there with a nice dinner and a glass of wine. He said, I think I've died and already gone to heaven, he says. They took out a corner of his room and he painted 23 more paintings. Some of them are hanging there today. He proclaimed every day is a great day and they have posters all over the unit now. Today is a great day. Um, And even my brother and sister and I spent a lot more time together visiting with dad and we've maintained that afterwards. Um, So there's ways to do this that are very positive. My concern is I do want to stay home, and that puts a lot of pressure on your spouse. And a lot of things aren't covered in home hospice care. And as you can imagine, the financial aspects are extremely worrisome, because this is an expensive illness. And I do have great insurance, but I'll give you an example uh, that I think I've written about. My medicine for ALS is $600 a month, and I was paying $10. And then last September, I stepped up, and they said, Oh, dear, George, you now owe $297. They said, You must be in the donut hole. Well, I didn't know what that was. I called Anna at Martin's Point. She said, "Yeah, after Medicare, pays so much, and you have to pay another $4,800. They were still paying some, but I was paying about half. So I asked the pharmacist, I said, what, what happens if somebody doesn't have $297? They said, oh, George, they just hand back their medicine. They don't take it. Now, that is awful. And I just met a guy, uh, it's in a local town, Kennebec County, diagnosed with ALS, has no insurance. The, the town has already done a fundraiser for him. But his, the advice they gave him was to sell his house, divorce his wife, he could get on main care Oh, he doesn't want to do that, you know? Um, so he's struggling a little bit, but he had a terrifically, he had a great attitude. He's been going to Mass General for his care. Um, and so he and I have, are going to be talking lots.
0: So how does he pay for his care?
1: Well, he has some assets of his own, and then they had the fundraiser for him, but he's still wrestling with that. Because he, he is still, I mean, he just started. He, he, you wouldn't know he was ill if you saw him. So he hasn't gotten to these heavy expenses. Um,
0: and the heavy expenses are, you do well, take medication?
1: You take a wheelchair. It's, the one I wanted was $28,000, and oh my word. well, at Martin's point, they pay 80%, but you still got to pay $5,000. A lot of the telecommunications equipment's the same, and then some of your home hospice care is not covered.
0: I thought that hospice care, well, it's covered under Medicare.
1: Uh, some items are, but not everything. So, like, there's no care overnight, so that all falls on Linda, for example. There, there is a care where a nurse will come during the day and do some things. Um, and I'm still researching hospice, so I'm not an expert on it yet, but I do know from initial talks that not everything is covered.
0: I know that down in Scarborough, there's an inpatient hospice home called Gosnell, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful yeah. facility. But most people do want to die at home.
1: We have one in Augusta and one in Lewiston that I've looked at. But yeah, I don't want to go there. So we'll say we, we just built this very, one of the things, renovations to your house are not covered. So this pathway you saw Linda working on the ice, that's new. We, for the wheelchair? Yeah, none of our doors work, so we have to use the front door, which we've never used. I had to build a 90-foot walkway, and uh, it was expensive, but a couple in Vienna, friends of ours, after he retired, he got all this big, heavy equipment, and he does stuff. He loves it. They worked here for two weeks and never charged me anything That's
0: nice to help. It's amazing what can yeah. happen among your circle of friends, and you've, you find there are new friends out there who want to help. Yes. But you're gonna have to make other things accessible inside the house as well, bathrooms and...
1: Luckily the doors are all okay for being in a wheelchair. But, oh, shower for example. You can't get in a tub. We have two bathrooms with two tubs. One's gotta come out in a whole new shower with a a stall you sit in and these kind of things. And uh, toilets have to be changed because you can't get up and down. Then there's things you need, like a hospital bed. Well, that turns out to be covered by insurance. So I'll be getting one of that, and eventually I'll just be in the living room.
0: Mm-hmm. So. I want to talk about expectations. So when you were diagnosed, you got the news. You probably had expectations about what this was going to be like, and here you are about a year and a half later. Have those expectations... Unfolded the way you thought they
1: would? You know, one of the things I've learned about ALS is you can't have expectations because everything happens so differently to different people. I mean, I, I'm very likely to lose all those things eventually. And the average person only lives three years, but some live 20 years. So it's, it's impossible to know what to expect. That's one thing I learned right off as I started talking to Dr. Lash and then researching. Um, so I won't say that I've tried not to have expectations. I've tried to just stay in the moment, do my research, know what we will need to do as things go along, and connect with people and write about it and continue my other writing, and spend time with the family. And so I would say I, I don't really have expectations. Yeah. Are you writing a book about this? It depends how long I go, because eventually... My books, I, I did one on uh, called The Life Lived Outdoors. which was, was columns I'd already written over 30 years about Maine. And then uh, I did a sporting camp book for Down East Books that was a lot of work. And then Linda and I did a travel book publishing just some of our columns we'd already written. And then last August, North Country Press published my book of hunting and fishing stories, which I'd already written. So this is typically what I've done. If I write enough columns about this, that would even make a booklet, I, I would be interested in having it published.
0: I think you have a lot to say.
1: Well, and I know, I've, two of my books are published by uh, Dean Lunt at Islandport Press, and I know they would do a booklet for me. Yeah. yeah.
0: Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think is really important for people to know about you or about ALS, about life, about anything?
1: I've written an editorial page column every week for 27 years. And people sometimes at a book talk will say, how did you get an idea for a column every week for 27 years? And I said, well, don't you read the newspaper? Something aggravates me every morning. (laughs) But the last couple of years, I have moved away from the political columns, issue-oriented, and wrote more about Maine. And this next column, a young fellow called me. He's out of state, but he grew up in this area. He had a job opportunity for a person running for governor. And he wanted to know if I thought he should take it. And so in the process, I wrote a column about this, about my career, and that'll be printed on Wednesday. So sharing even things about that with people. And what I told him was, I think he's capable of having his own business. Not everybody is. But I managed Dave Emery's campaign for Congress in 74, and we upset Peter Kairos. We were astonished. We went to D.C., two 26-year-old Republicans, no idea what we were doing. This big national Democrat, Ed Muskie, did everything he could to help us. We had all kinds of meetings in his private office. Now, this wouldn't happen today. And then eight years later, Dave ran for Congress and George Mitchell beat him. So I started my own business in 1982, best thing I ever did. Even when I was executive director of the Sportsman's Alliance, I just had an annual contract. I worked at home. I've always worked at home since 1982 and uh, so I hope people could see through the things that happened in my life that there are these opportunities and to not just settle for a job if you don't like it, you know, get out there um, because there's all kinds of opportunities. This young fellow decided eventually not to go into the political route. He's had like three job offers already. He's a very capable guy, young man. And I'm delighted he's moving back to Maine. My son and daughter-in-law wanted to move back to Maine from Massachusetts before they had kids, but they couldn't get good jobs. You know? So they're still in Massachusetts. Um, and our daughter works in Washington, D.C. I don't know how we raise a city girl, but she loves it down there. Uh, and Is this our, the
0: daughter you showed me a picture of her with yeah, her first? Yeah, with her
1: first little fish she caught with her own fly. And then, luckily, our oldest daughter and her husband and our two grandsons are in union, so we see them a lot. But what I've tried to share with people is sort of my life's experiences, and I'll continue to write about that. And hopefully they can learn something from... So it's all I know how to do, just tell them what I've done.
0: So this might be a tough question, but I'm guessing you've thought about it. It's inevitable that this disease is going to kill you, probably. Yes. oh yes. Not probably, but it's inevitable. definitely. How do you want people to remember George Smith, the man? Well,
1: I have told Linda that all of that is up to them. I didn't even say I wanted a memorial service like some people do in their wills. The memorial service is for the people who are still here. It's not going to make any difference to me. And I've expressed what I want to be cremated and some ashes thrown in my wood lot and up the camp, you know. So I, I've thought through all of this, uh, so I've prepared for all of that. And I was really so delighted. The main conservation voters uh, last fall gave me a ma- their major award. It's called the Harry Richardson Award, which meant a lot to me because I worked with Harry Richardson when he was in the legislature way back. And it was for my career of service and help on environmental conservation issues they had the event at South Portland at the point there, and there was 500 people. Angus did a surprise video about me, and then I got to speak. And they were worried, because they wanted me to speak for five minutes, and they knew I could go on for an hour or so. So you
0: love to talk, huh, George? I kept telling
1: Marine Brewing, don't worry, I'll try to end it at 30 minutes, you know. I talked for about 10 minutes. And then uh, I just helped the National Group start a new Brook Trout Advocacy Organization, and we have a main advisory board that I'm on. And we've come up with a poster to put on the 500 ponds that, because of our work, are now protected, our native brook trout. So we're going to have a poster at each pond to let people know that's one of the ponds. And unbeknownst to me, the whole board voted to dedicate that to me.
0: That feels good.
1: Yeah, I just, they just posted a thing on their website. So things like that, yeah, that mean those mean a lot, that people recognize that I have done something.
0: And how about those people closest to you, those people who love just you, George, the human being?
1: Well, that's my family and friends. Like I said, they're all taking me to lunch, taking me hunting and fishing, uh, transporting me, anything we need, you know, people are there. I'm actually looking at at a website. There's one, I think it's called Care Something, where you can post what you need. So people don't have to constantly call or email, George, you need anything today. You can put it up there and people can look and see and see how I'm doing. I think I'm going to do that.
0: That's a good idea because a lot of people, they want to help, but they don't know. Yes. And then the the person like you uh, hates to be a burden. Yes. And so you don't really say, well, whatever you want to do. But if you can be specific, yes. you both win.
1: Yes. And of course, the kids are calling all the time and are very helpful. But equally helpful are the folks right here in Mount Vernon or in my church down the road because they're here. We just had a really nice lady. She's in her 70s. She was shoveling her roof, fell off, broke all kinds of bones. In her backyard, nobody could see her. She managed to crawl into the house and call for help. And it's amazing that she's alive and she was in the Portland Hospital in Augusta. She's just home now. The whole community is We've organized her lunches and visits, and there's a young lady stepped up to spend all day every day with her for free. and this is our community, you know so:
0: Well George, we're going to have to wind up. Um, You've got your half hour.
1: It <laughs> <laughs> goes fast, doesn't it.
0: <laughs> but I'll give you the final words if there's anything you want.
1: Well, I, I would invite people at my website, Georgesmithmain.com, they'll be able to read all the different columns I write about this because they're published in the KJ or the Bangor paper and here and there. Um, but if they'd like to just follow all of them, it's all there. The, the most fun I'm having is book reviews. I write book reviews for all the main publishers, and those are there. And uh, that's been fun. So I would just hope people might take a look at my website and read my columns and react to them. I love to hear from people that have read it. Uh, especially if they've taken my advice, you know. <laughs> you so, love
0: to
1: give advice. Yeah, oh, I give advice. That's no problem. So don't
0: be afraid to ask George for advice or it. to ask questions, and you're very open about what's happening.
1: Yes, and there are other similar illnesses, you know, that people need support and help and um, sources of information, and I can help with that. I, I really enjoy helping people.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate your spending the time with us. I will make sure to put direct links to your website and to some other resources about ALS on my blog, which is Catching Health.
1: Thank you. Thanks for coming up to Mount Vernon.
0: It was our pleasure. George Smith is one of about 15,000 people in the United States with ALS. When we come back, we'll learn more about this devastating disease from Morit Brinser. She's the Executive Director of the ALS Association Northern New England Chapter. Remember the Ice Bucket Challenge? Two years ago, more than 17 million people uploaded videos of themselves pouring buckets of ice water over their heads. The challenge raised awareness about ALS and more than $115 million for the ALS Association. We'll find out how the money is being spent, and we'll also talk about ALS causes, symptoms, treatment, and research. Welcome back to Catching Health. I'm Diane Atwood, and I'm talking with Morit Brinzer. She's the Executive Director of the ALS Association Northern New England Chapter. Thank you, Morit, for taking the time to talk with me.
2: Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Well, First, I'd like to ask you is, what does the ALS Association do? Well, we, um, first of all, cover
2: um, three states. We cover Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And we have what I refer to as two sides of the house. So we have the, the development side or the fundraising side of the house, where we are doing events, raising awareness, and doing our fundraising. The other side is our care service programs so we have um, three care service coordinators located in each of the states that we cover and we um, the care service coordinators actually are really on for lack of a better word on the front lines and they are going into the homes of people that have ALS and they're a resource so they're not providing any sort of clinical oversight But what they're doing is they're helping to uh, provide information and education for people that have ALS and their families. So it could be um, somebody has a new diagnosis and just wants to know, what do I do now? Um, As you can imagine, with a a diagnosis as as traumatic as ALS, uh, there's a lot of questions Um, People have questions regarding insurance. They have questions regarding um, equipment. They want to start preparing the best that they can for what's coming down the road for them. And um, they just want to know more about the disease state. So that's what our care service uh, coordinators do is they sit down, they meet with the family, they answer the questions, and they also help connect the dots to uh, durable medical equipment, to resources in the community, to, uh, we have an equipment loan closet, so they are the, the, um, the uh, point person for um, equipment that we can loan out to people. They also um, are the liaison to our multidisciplinary clinics, and we now, we're very grateful, we now have one, at least one in
0: each state. Now, when I interviewed George Smith, who was diagnosed about a year and a half ago, he's here in Maine. He mentioned Nell Davies. I think that yes. she was his point person.
2: Yes, that she is. She was our care service coordinator in Maine for over 12 years. She actually retired um, on January 31st. Okay. So so we're getting a new care service coordinator in Maine, and she starts on the 26th.
0: And will that person then work the entire state of Maine? Because we can get pretty yes. rural. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes, the entire state. So, um uh, we go to
0: where we needed. So that is the entire state. And thank goodness for technology, like we're using to yeah. do our interview. Yes, yes, absolutely. So as far as fundraising goes, you guys, you hit the jackpot with your... Yeah. You're responsible for, not you personally, but the ALS Association for the Ice Bucket Challenge.
2: Well, we, we actually are not responsible for the Ice Bucket Challenge. It was not, it was... It was really started by Pete Frates and Pat Quinn, um, who really started this phenomenon, this 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 uh, event that went viral. And we were um, very, very fortunate to um, be one of the um, beneficiaries of the
0: money that was raised. Well, my husband and I did it right on our front lawn. So did you? Yep. Yeah. Um, you raised, or the, the challenge raised how much money 115 million dollars came to the ALS
2: association there was other monies that did go to other organizations as well but uh, we raised um uh, 115 million and um 96.3 million of that money has gone towards mission work including 84 million dollars in research and
0: that research has panned out i read i read now- at least about finding this gene or getting more information about this gene that's linked to some cases? Are you you referring to the NEK one? Yes. Yes.
2: So that is a gene that was, uh, the finding was very significant and you're absolutely right. That was because of the Ice Bucket Challenge money. Um, And it's one of the most common genes that contributes to the development of ALS. So um, there's still a lot of work that has to be done but it's those kinds of um, advances that will help us to find new therapies and someday a treatment or a cure. That well, is the
0: ultimate goal. So up until this point or up until they discovered this gene, there wasn't even a clue as to what causes it? They're still, they still don't know why what causes it. So we know that
2: um, 10% of the population, um, get fami- it's a, a familial gene, so it will run in families. Mm-hmm. 90% are sporadic, so it just happens. Um, and we also know that veterans are twice as likely to develop ALS as compared to the general population, but we still don't know why. We don't know why this happens to veterans, so we don't know why somebody, you know, why
0: why? Um, And that is really, really difficult. Do we know if this gene that you're telling me about is only linked to the familial cases, or is it present in all the cases? It
2: is not my understanding that it's familial. I think it is. um, It's the most common gene, one of the most common genes that um, contributes to
0: the development of ALS. So, but there's, yeah, There's still a lot of work that has to be done. And the biggest thing is, what is it that triggers that gene, correct? Right, right. And so if you know that, then scientists will be able to maybe figure out how to stop it from happening or yes. how to yeah. treat it. Right.
2: There are 126 active research pro- projects that are going on right now that the ALS Association is funding. That's a lot. If you go on our website, there is... Um, if you go on to ALSANNE.org, there is on the left-hand corner an ice bucket. And if you click on that, it really goes into detail of what we're funding, and it gives you information in specifics. And it's it's just incredible um, what is being funded right now for research. But it's necessary. It's just this is not, unfortunately, going to be an easy what they're saying is that ALS there isn't just one type of ALS there are different types of ALS and um it's just unfortunately going to take time but there is more
0: hope than ever before which is really great right is it linked or is ALS linked to other neurological diseases
2: my i and, and i and i I am not a scientist but mm-hmm. I do know that If um, if there is an advancement in things like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, it's going to be a win for all of the diseases. Um, So people have asked in the past, you know, well, I've been, in fact, impacted by Alzheimer's disease, and I'm not sure if I should be making my donation to the ALS Association or Alzheimer's. A donation
0: to to Alzheimer's is going to benefit all of us. So there is some kind of a link. It's just really needing to establish that. Okay. Something else that I read about is that just last year, um, the first new ALS drug in 22 years was approved yeah. by the FDA. Yeah. How do you pronounce? Yeah. How do you pronounce the it's, name?
2: It's called Radicava.
0: Radicava. So, what yeah. does Radicava do?
2: So, Radicava is not a, obviously a cure. It is a treatment, and it slows down the progression of the the um, of of ALS um, by 33%. So. Um, people that um, start, you know, developing the weakness, it is, uh, the drug is, does slow down the progression
0: of that. Okay, I need us to talk about that in in another way. So 33%. So what's the average lifespan once you get diagnosed? Once somebody is diagnosed, it's usually three to five years. And so if you take this drug, you may reduce the progression?
2: Yes, yes,
0: you may. And by yourself, how much time?
2: Um, I don't know that I don't think I can answer that I think it really there are some people that um, every one person that has ALS is one person that has ALS mm-hmm. in the sense that it's you can't look at one person and say well you know that that is I, I'm gonna mirror that person everybody has different symptoms um, it's very in, it's very um, I guess independent if for lack of a better word um, Some people will start out by having a, uh, it's called Bulbar Onset, where their speech is affected. So um, somebody may, um, there's actually one of our, um, uh, one of the people that we work with in Maine um, uh, did a Profiles in Action for us in in our monthly newsletter, and he talks about how he was giving a presentation and his speech was starting to get slurred. So that was his first symptom hmm. and people thought he was drunk, and it was the start of a l s some people don't have bulbar onset um at the at the beginning they have tingling in their in their hands or twitching muscles, or they might have a drop foot so it really um it really um there's no one way to you know that somebody ha gets symptoms that it's
0: Um, It's very per person. Hmm. Uh, Does that help at all? It it does help. And it makes me think that it must be really challenging to diagnose it sometimes.
2: Well, there's no test. So it's not like you can go and have a blood test and say, oh, you know what? You're positive for ALS. ALS is one of those diseases that it's a process of elimination.
0: I didn't realize that.
2: Yes. Um, And I think that um, they are getting better at diagnosing. At one point in time, people may have gone, you know, they may have like a a foot drop. Mm -hmm. And, um, so then they go and see an orthopedic and the orthopedic may actually do surgery only to find out that it had nothing to do with foot drop, that it had everything to do with ALS. Um, there have been people that, that has taken up to a year to get
0: diagnosed.
2: Um, so it's a process of elimination.
0: So George, the, the man that I interviewed, I think his first symptoms were muscle twitches, which he still yeah. has, and I think they drive him crazy. Um, but his fingertips have become numb. He told me yeah. that he has trouble buttoning his shirt, for instance, his yeah. legs, legs are weaker. He was getting a wheelchair delivered that afternoon. His speech, yeah. his speech has started being affected, and he's lost weight. Yeah. So those are all kind of common symptoms. Yeah. 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 They're very,
2: they are very common, but that does not mean that the next, you know, that's that, uh, everybody's going to have that kind of progression.
0: Right. It just depends. So how does a person get a diagnosis or what should a person, what kind of symptoms should a person suspect? And ask questions about? All these things that we're talking about?
2: I would say that anybody that has any sort of uh, change in their ability, um, whether it's walking or using their hands or muscle twitching, that they need to go and see a neurologist. So, you know, probably their primary care first, but then be
0: uh, referred to a neurologist. Um, It's a pretty scary disease. Oh, yeah. George told me about one test. He's kind of Funny. He's got a great sense of humor. He had to have um one of those tests where they stick the needles in and they'll do the they kind of like trigger the or they'll zap the muscles to see the response right so he yes. said the first neurologist yeah. that he went to um he uh, talked with him the entire time about sports because George is a sportsman loves talking about yeah. sports, and the doctor did too, so he said didn't hurt a bit, but then he had to have it repeated. At another Mm. another hospital, and apparently uh, the doctor wasn't the least bit interested in sports. And so that didn't feel so comfortable. Yeah. But But it's one of those tests that you need to do in order to find out how the muscles are responding to a stimulus. Yeah. 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 What about an MRI or a CAT scan? Can they see any changes in the brain?
2: I don't believe that they do, but I'm not positive about that.
0: Okay. So the usual, uh, lifespan after diagnosis I've read is like three to five years. And yet we've got a yeah. man, a man like Stephen Hawking, who's had it for, I, I think, like more than 50 years. Yeah. So yeah. that's an yeah. aber, aberration, but it. it
2: I, I believe so. I don't know an awful lot about Steve Ho- Stephen Hawking's, but I do know that, um, there are, um, there are some people that have a much slower, uh, progression, Uh, rate of progression. Some have a much more advanced, you know, there are, there are people, unfortunately, that we find out that, you know, once they're diagnosed that, that, you know, it's not too long before they pass. Um, We have um, uh, people, I I know people in Maine that have had it for quite a long time, like we're talking 10 to 15 years.
0: Um, So it's a slow progression. And so they just sort of stopped at some point along the way. And I mean, I've heard that, as it progresses, then it affects like, um, your respiratory muscles. Yeah. And that's where, one, that's where yeah. things get well, really challenging.
2: The, there are two, um, big decisions that people with ALS have to make it des- have to decide. And the first one is, is going to be a feeding tube. So do, you know, people, everybody is, you know, um, it's, it's a, a personal decision, but, at some point in time, they're probably going to have to decide if they want a feeding tube so that they can keep their their weight up. The other decision that people have to really consider is: Do you want to be vented? Because because at some point in time, they are not going to be able to breathe. And um, so, uh, venting is a really really big decision because you are now talking about 24 hour care.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, somebody that has ALS, that is vented, can't typically, they're not going to be able to talk. They're not going to be able to say, oh, you know what, um, you know, I, I need you to come over and look at my at my my vent. I think something's wrong. It They don't they can't communicate. So you have to have eyes on that person 24 hours a day. And it's a it's a it's a a, a significant um, decision that people have to really consider and you have to consider
0: it at the beginning really yeah or before before that happens
2: yes absolutely
0: absolutely and george did talk to me about that as soon as they got the diagnosis and the shock of the diagnosis wore off um he and his wife and their kids they sat down and all got on the same page and made a lot of decisions, got their affairs in orders, which we um, talked about in our interview. Uh, Years ago I was a reporter, a television reporter, and I got sent out to Oregon where um, I interviewed a family um, about a decision that, I think it was the mother uh, who had ALS, and she made the decision for assisted suicide because it was legal. There, um, do you ever get into conversations like that with people? Well, I think that um, uh, the only state um, that
2: we cover that has assisted suicide is uh, Vermont. So my understanding in Vermont is that um, somebody who has a condition like ALS can have that conversation with their physician, <clears throat> and. Uh, a pharmacist has to uh, approve uh, dispensing the medication, but the person that has ALS has to be at a point where they can self-administer the medication.
0: Okay. So you can't so, wait until that moment when right. you're put on a ventilator. And it's my understanding that you cannot have your
2: your spouse do it or anybody else or a doctor. So um, it's it's a, uh, that's another big, you know, uh, decision that people have to have to make a decision about.
0: I'm curious about you. How did you get to be the executive director? Um, What's your interest in ALS?
2: Well, to be honest with you, I was one of the fortunate people that, um, I, prior to taking on this position, I had not been personally impacted by ALS. Um, certainly I'm now impacted every single day. Um, I, um, um, uh, Several years ago, I was the executive director for the American Heart Association and I covered New Hampshire and Vermont, and I uh, left that position after four years and went to, uh, I took on a uh, vice president of um, business development position at um, Concord Regional Visiting Nurse Association. And it it wasn't really a good fit for me. So I was there for about two years and left, and um, was fortunate enough that I could take some time and really consider what is it that I wanted to do. And it took me a little bit, to be honest with you. It should have been right there in front of me, but it wasn't. Um, And I finally said to myself, what position have you been most happiest? And it was the ED position at the Heart Association. So I happened to, a friend of mine sent me this job posting and I read the job description and it was like exactly what I was looking for and uh, the rest is history. So I've been with the organization going on three years and um, ha- I just absolutely love, um, I love this association. It's it's very different than the Heart Association in the sense that we really work with people that have ALS, whereas the Heart Heart Association, they don't have, you know, there's, people that are survivors, certainly, and we're working with some survivors to become speakers and so forth, but um, it's very different. This is much
0: more hands-on, really providing support and care to those that have been impacted. And people who have been impacted, um, it's it's a devastating disease.
2: It is devastating. It is devastating. And
0: we, you know, I,
2: I, you know, you will meet all sorts of people, um, so, um, you'll meet people that want to get as much information as possible. They they get the diagnosis, and they'll go to support groups, and they'll they'll uh, register with the ALS Association, and they'll work with their care coordinators, and they'll go to multidisciplinary clinics, and they just want to get as much information as possible. Then there are other people, the other side of the spectrum are people that are diagnosed that don't want to have anything to do with us it's just too hard and they can't they just can't do it at that. So we want to make sure that we're always there so that when they are when they do decide that they need us, that we're there
0: and we can help support them. And as you mentioned, uh, you work with the families as well because they exactly. certainly need support.
2: Absolutely. And I was just actually having that this conversation this past weekend. There was an event um up at uh, J Peak in Vermont. And, um, it was to, it was in memory of someone who had passed of ALS, who was very integral to the JP community. He passed away in August and I was talking to some of the, um, people that were putting on this event and they were just sharing that, you know, they that the family just could not be involved this year. And I said, you know, I said, that's, that, that's not surprising because they, it's so horrible to watch your loved one go through this. Right. Um, That there are people that are like, I don't want to hear the word ALS. I don't want to deal with ALS now. Just let me be.
0: So. I can understand. I can too. So we talked about this new medication. I want to, I don't want to leave that up in the air because I understand that it's pretty expensive. It it really all depends
2: upon insurance. And um, I I don't have specific information about um, the cost because it really depends upon um, if it's a private pay insurance, if it's Medicare. Um, We have um, a clinical educator by the name of Susan Flynn, who is a huge resource to us in Maine and New Hampshire. She doesn't cover Vermont, but she covers Maine and New Hampshire. And she has helped numerous people. Um, to um, go through this process of actually getting radicava. Um, So you would think that um, somebody who has ALS goes and talks to their doctor says I want radicava and then it's all set up and ready to go. It unfortunately doesn't work like that. So it's a process and sometimes it's appealing decisions that the insurance companies make. Um, but it is, um,
0: but it, people are getting it, um, successfully. I had it somewhere in my notes where, how much it costs, but naturally I can't find it right now as I look. But the other thing, oh, you do know? Well,
2: no, I I want, I do want to say I, I, I have heard figures if people don't have insurance at all, if they just go and buy it. Um, and it, and it is astronomical, but I don't know that, but there are, um, uh, there is support through the, um, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the, um, Searchlight, it's called Searchlight and, and they
0: will help, um, find funding too. Okay. I can put a link to Searchlight and I'm going to put a link to the ALS Association as well on my website. Great. Um, The other thing about this medication is that it's given intravenously. You can't just Correct. pop a pill, so that, could, that might be problematic for some people.
2: Well, it's also, I mean, it really is a, it's, it's somewhat of a commitment in the sense that um, it is, so it is an infusion. So um, it is an infusion that's given um, over, when you first start, over two weeks, over a two-week period, you have to have it once a day, every single day for 14 days. And the infusion takes about an hour. And then you're off for two weeks. And then during the next two weeks, you need to take 10 doses during that 14-day period. And then you're off for two weeks, and then you're back on to 10 during a 14-day period, and it just cycles. 10 day, ten days during 14, and then 14 days off until you decide that you no longer want it. Okay, that's so a huge commitment. It, it can be a huge commitment um and i um so it, you know people can go to a infusion center or they you can train somebody in your home to, to uh to uh, provide the medication as well okay but you're right it's not it it kind of it does tie you down and you have to really think about if that's something that you really want to do
0: are there there is at least one other medication right there's a medication called R-
2: raluzol um, that has been around for a very, very long time, um, and it is also supposed to um, uh, decrease uh, the progression or or slow down the progression. I I I think it's still standard that it's given, but I don't know that it's something that um, really increases a lot of of time.
0: Okay. Are more people, at, or are some people at more risk of getting? ALS. You mentioned veterans. Veterans are
2: twice as likely,
0: yeah. Any other categories of people? Um, Not that I
2: am uh, aware of.
0: Okay. I'm sure I've forgotten some question that I wanted to ask you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, the only thing I will say is that, um, you know, the median age is about 55, and men are more prone to be getting ALS. Until you get to the age 70 and then it equals out. Okay.
0: So I think George is, um, in his sixties, you know, one of the okay. things that he, he and I talked about too, are all these associated costs that you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, um, and a lot of it is not covered by insurance. Like, um, he needed to put in a new walkway be- to his yeah. house because yeah. he was getting the yeah. wheelchair. Um, yeah, probably going to have to make some modifications inside his house. Yes. Uh, just every day, I think he and his wife discover something else. And it's very, very stressful. And he told me about um, a man. George is one of those people who does want to talk about it. He um, blogs about it. And, yeah. and he now has, uh, I think, a growing community of people that uh, are dealing with ALS or just want to be there for him. So that's wonderful for him. Yeah. But yeah. and his wife too. But um one man apparently he was told by somebody that he should sell his house, divorce his wife and get rid of everything. Um that's exactly what you're you're shaking your head. People aren't going to be able to see it, see that, but uh it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't have to be that way. Um
2: uh and, you know, we the the ALS association does as i had mentioned to you earlier earlier on we do have an equipment loan closet so we have things like um ramps or um commodes or wheel you know manual wheelchairs or sliding uh, sh- uh sliding boards or shower chairs all those kinds of things those are things that uh, the other thing that we have is assistant, um, assistive communication devices so that when people start losing their ability to speak, we can give them a, a, a laptop uh, or an iPad. So and it has communication tools on there so that they will still be able to communicate. So we have built that um Uh, closet or we have closets in each one of our um, states that we cover where we can loan out equipment so people don't have to buy. But you're absolutely right. There are people that, um, you know, have have to do modifications to the house so that once that person is in a wheelchair, they need to be able to get into the bathroom and the doorway is not big enough. Um, or the shower isn't going to be, um, helpful for them to shower the person that has ALS. So there are those kinds of challenges. Um, and, um, you know, we are, we are hoping, um, with the, um, Uh, Northern New England chapter to be able to uh, start some sort of a grant program. It's still early on where we have not you know, we haven't come to that point yet that we can offer something like that. But we know that there's a need out there to do things like um, a grant program so that people can um, request funds for, you know, whatever. Is it home modification? Is it um you know to buy a ramp what whatever the the needs are so um it's still early so i don't want to say that we don't have that yet but that is something we really would like to do this year um and um that is also another thing that i think the care coordinators are really very um, skillful in is that they know the different resources that they can tap into. And we may not have the funds, but we can help direct people to, have you tried this organization? Have you tried that organization to help out with things like that?
0: Okay. Um, The other thing that uh, George and I talked about, he and his wife, they've certainly learned a lot since he got his diagnosis about the disease, but also about the importance of getting their affairs in order and as we talked about the importance of thinking ahead, yeah. ma- making decisions, discussing it with the family, putting it down yeah. on paper, and yes. um, and George said that it was important, I think, for he and his family to all be on the, the same page, you know, yes, yeah. that the kids and his wife knew this is what he wanted. Do you have any advice that you could share, any additional advice about what people should try to do or think about at the beginning
2: you know i think that what george is doing is really so helpful um because he really paints the picture so well of having those conversations making sure that you are all on the same page that he has really communicated what he wants and what he doesn't want um also filling out the advanced directives um and um you know I, i i did read uh uh, George's article when he made his announcement of uh, having ALS, and he talks about going to an afi- his financial advisor and making sure that, um, you know, financially, they are, they are set. Um, and I think he's doing everything right, and he's also sharing it, which is so important because people are
0: going to be able to learn from him um, how, how to move forward. And he's also trying to keep a really positive one-day-at-a-time attitude, yeah. which is yeah. really admirable. It is very admirable. Okay, one last chance. Anything I didn't ask you that pops to your mind? Um,
2: I think that the, the only other thing that I will
0: mention, especially
2: for Maine, is that one of the things that we are really, really proud of is so when I came on board with the ALS Association I had mentioned that um, we have multidisciplinary clinics and the clinics are um, we know that people that attend clinics uh, do better as far as um, quality of life and as well as um, enhancing their life because the they're getting um, their needs met before it's a crisis situation. So a multidisciplinary clinic is basically a one-stop shop where people people that have ALS will go and they get to see a physician, a nurse, physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech therapist, um, nutritionist, um, sometimes palliative care, sometimes it's respiratory, but all of those people, all of those different disciplines are at the clinic and they kind of rotate around the person that has ALS. So it's not that person that has ALS that's going from this office to that office to that office, it's everybody coming to that person. Um, And we have two clinics in New Hampshire, one clinic in Vermont, but we have not had a clinic in Maine. And uh, so somebody that lives in Portland or Bangor or even, you know, wherever, If they wanted to go to a multidisciplinary clinic, they had to go to Massachusetts. Hmm. And that's huge because it's exhausting. Um, A person that has ALS tires easily. So imagine getting in the car and not only driving the distance to Boston, to Mass General or Burlington, to the Leahy Clinic, but also having to deal with the stress of traffic. Right. Um, So we uh, were able to, we have a donor um, who um, helps support the launch of our first ALS clinic in Maine, and it is at Midcoast Hospital in Brunswick. Um, Dr. John Taylor is the medical director, and we were able to launch it in November. And so uh, the first uh, clinic uh, day was, it's always the second, I believe it's the second Friday of the month. Um, it, it, took place in November. We did not have one in December just because of the holidays, but we've had one in January and, and last Friday was the, um, clinic for the, uh, in Maine this past Friday. And we're just thrilled to be able to finally provide another resource for people in Maine. Um, so we are going to be, I'm um, um, hopefully having some sort of a grand opening coming up, but we needed to allow people, um, the team really the clinic team to really get their efficiencies get their system set up and give them a chance to get settled before we went down that road so that's the only other thing that I really wanted
0: to share of an uh, an additional resource for people in Maine well that's great news and again I can put on my blog uh, how people can get in touch I mean how would they make an appointment
2: they would call the call the office so I can send you um, the information of who they would contact um, for, to, uh,
0: make an appointment and send me an invitation to the open house. I and if sure I can, will. I'll, I'll be I there. I sure
2: will. That
0: right. would be awesome. Well, thank you for spending this time with us today, Morit. Thank you so much, Diane. I really appreciate it. Yeah. You had a wealth of information. My pleasure. I've been talking to Morit Brinzer. She's the executive director of the ALS Association, Northern New England chapter. To read the show notes from today's episode and get links to all of these important ALS resources and also to George Smith's website where he writes about his personal experiences with ALS, go to CatchingHealth.com. And while you're there, take some time to look around. You'll find recipes, fitness tips, blog posts on a variety of health and wellness topics and more podcast episodes. I'm Diane Atwood, host and producer of the Catching Health podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a great day.